Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. I'm honored to be joined by Terrence Lester today, who I'll tell you a little bit more about later in the episode. However, we are going to be discussing his brand new book called When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. And I want to let you know, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, you know, really what we want to do here on the podcast is create a safe place to have difficult conversations because you've probably gone throughout life and maybe you've become curious about certain different subjects and, you know, you started asking questions about those subjects and you realized that (laughs) pretty quickly, you probably realized that there's certain things that you could talk with certain people about and then there are other things that you cannot talk with other people about because you're just maybe afraid of how they're going to respond to you, whether that's with fear and judgment and commendation or condemnation. And you're just like, I'm just wanting to learn more about this because I don't really know very much about this. And so that's really what we want to do here on the podcast is create a safe place to where if you don't feel like you have people that you can talk with these things about, you can listen in on some of the conversations and maybe some of the other things that you're thinking about as well. And so, uh, yeah, and a couple other things that go along with that is that, you know, this is a podcast for lifelong learners, and we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, from anyone and from everyone. And in some of the cases, it's learning from their example of what not to do. In other cases, it's learning from them of how to handle certain situations or how to respond in a healthy way as well. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what we're, that's really what we're all about here on The Learner's Corner. And today I want to recommend uh, a podcast episode that I listened to recently. And uh, let me tell you the the reason why uh, we're listening to this is because one of the things that that Terrence talks a lot about is is the importance of understanding uh, the people that we're trying to uh, minister to, and that it's through understanding. It's through, you know, doing community, like I was going to say doing community with people. It's through um, being a part of each other's lives and learning about each other that we're able to love each other better. And one of the things that really stood out to me, you know, at the at the time of this recording, um, what happened or what one of the major things that has happened in the United States is that uh, the the current Oakland Raiders player uh, for the NFL, Carl Nassib, uh, has become the first active NFL player to come out as gay. And one of the podcasts that I listen to a lot, uh, is called the Dan Lebetard show. And mainly it is a, it is a sports, uh, podcast with a little bit of cultural stuff here and there. It is mainly, uh, it's not a serious podcast. It's a very funny podcast, a very, uh, tends to be lighthearted and, uh, like I said, humorous podcast, but one of the things that they did talk about there, and they brought on uh, a guy, John Amici, who was uh, who who is gay and who was a part of the NBA, even though he didn't come out uh, while he was part of the NBA. In the interview and the conversation that they conduct with him, it just made me uh, it just enlightened my perspective even more, and just gave me greater understanding. And that's one of the things that I'm wanting to do here through the Learner's Corner recommended resource is just telling you some of the things that I'm learning from and some of the things that I'm thinking about and uh, just presenting it your way for you to potentially learn from as well. And so that's my recommended resource. It'll be in the show notes for it. Uh, As I said, this at the time of recording this intro and outro, 
Uh, it just happened in the past few days. So there is that. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the guest for today's podcast. Terrence Lester is a speaker, activist, author, and thought leader in the realm of systemic poverty. He's known for nationwide campaigns that bring awareness to issues surrounding homelessness, poverty, and economic inequality. His awareness campaigns have been featured on MLK 50, CNN, Good Morning America, Creative Mornings US Today, NBC, and so on and so forth. Many other places as well have been viewed by millions of people around the world. In 2018, Terrence led the march against poverty as he walked from Atlanta to Memphis, which is 386 miles. He finished the march and spoke at the historic Lorraine Motel for the 50th anniversary of MLK's assassination. His unique approach combines storytelling and digital media to help illustrate social justice issues with practical approaches to solving these ailments. In 2013, he founded the nonprofit Love Beyond Walls, which we discussed in our conversation, and and they have helped hundreds of individuals experiencing homelessness and poverty to rebuild their lives. In 2019, Terrence launched the first museum in the U.S. representing homelessness out of a shipping container called Dignity Museum. He has also written seven books, and his newest book, which is out right now, called When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. He holds four degrees and is currently working on his Ph.D. at Union Institute and University in Public Policy and social change. So that's a little bit about Terrence, and here is my conversation with him. Well, Terrence, so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Hey, Caleb. Uh, I'm excited about being here. Um, I'm really pumped about our conversation today. Yeah. And you've you've recently authored this uh, brand new book, which is out called When We Stand. And I want to talk with you a little bit about that a little bit later. But before we get into that, like just as I was preparing for uh, our conversation and everything, I was scrolling through Twitter and reading through the book. And man, like you just seem to have like just a plethora of ideas more than just the average person. And like, I'm scrolling through your Twitter and I'm going like, dang, that's very insightful. Dang, that's really insightful. And I, I would just love to hear like, what, it, what's your process like for like seeing, you know, thinking of the idea, forming the idea, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, which is one of the tensions too, because uh, social media content or, you know, producing content is is really hard within itself. Um, you know, it can also feel very, uh, very overwhelming to the fact where it, it feels like it's a job, right? And so what I strive to do as a, uh, I guess, a um, contributor of thoughts and ideas is really lean lean into the things that's um, on my heart, um, the things that I may have taken away from a conversation or uh, something that sparked an idea in terms of an article that I've I've read, or um, I try to sit in silence and and really listen uh, to uh, the things that are uh, most pressing uh, that's going on inside of me. 
And even just looking at larger society and culture about, you know, what is it that's going on? You know, I look at the debates that happen back and forth on social media. I look at um, the different ideologies or ideas around certain uh, topics um, uh, that are, uh, you know, widespread. And I try to generate uh, ideas or content around, um, you know, just communicating this process of understanding and empathy and what it means to lean in and, and learn um, just from my, my own personal cultural uh, uh, perspective. Yeah, say, say more about the empathy, empathy side of things. Like, what are some of the things that you do to gain um, a greater awareness or a greater empathy for other people in your life? Yeah, well, I think empathy is is different from sympathy in that sympathy is more about, you know, feeling sorrowful that someone else may be going through a, a situation. Um, you may feel it in your heart, but it doesn't have that deep and meaningful connection, whereas empathy is, yeah, I feel sorry and I feel it in my heart, but it 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 goes a little further because it asks the question, what can I do to serve to make this better? How can I enter into the world of another? Um, even in, in an instance where I am, you know, momentarily leaving my own problems and my own issues and setting uh, stuff aside, I love hearing Nowen's idea about what compassion is. He says it, it means to enter into uh, the world of another, to, to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to, I'm sorry, oh, <clears throat> to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, uh, to cry out with those who are uh, crying out, to be vulnerable with the vulnerable, uh, right? And I think it's this idea of really understanding that empathy invites us uh, to, uh, no, empathy is an invitation rather that in that gives us this invita- invitation to uh, be more understanding as opposed to standing in judgment. It's constantly asking this the, the question, how is the world, uh, your world experience unique to you? Uh, it, it leaves my ideas, my biases, my opinions, my concerns at the door when I'm really focused in and zeroed in on my neighbor. Um, and if I'm truly called to love my neighbor, as Jesus uh, is talking about, then I also have to love the neighborhood that shaped that neighbor. And I also have to be concerned about the issues that the neighborhood is facing. So I'm constantly trying to, to understand how can I love the total neighbor, the, the, the fullness of my neighbor, as opposed to only lo- loving certain parts of that neighbor. Man, can you talk more about that of loving like the fullness of your neighbor? Because I think that's something like, I feel like that's something that we all struggle with from time to time, whether that be, you know, our physical neighbors or it could just be our co our coworkers or our family or anything. Yeah. Well, I think, I think loving people within itself is hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think, Sometimes we use love in very abstract ways. People um, 
uh, are loving people based upon how how they were fashioned to love. Right. Maybe you grew up in a family where, you know, everybody hugged one another or you grew up in a family where there was a bunch of affirmation or you may have grown up in a family where there was tough love. Right. Uh, it was the, the finger pointing love. It, it's so many different variations of love. And what I try to do is understand what Jesus meant when he's talking about that type of love. He's talking about this sacrificial, compassionate emboldened love uh, that beckons us to enter into spaces that are not um, familiar to us. Because in, in essence, when uh, Jesus is calling us to love our neighbor, he's talking about people who aren't like you, right? Um, he, he's talking about uh, people who don't come from the same social location or have the same uh, views on life or have the same uh, mentality about certain things. I mean, you can't you can you can kind of try to measure um, your love based upon loving someone that you already know, right? But the true measure of love comes from when you can actually love someone that you have, you know, uh, nothing in common with, right? That's how you can really truly measure the weight of the love that you you're displaying towards uh, your neighbor. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some other things that we just tend to get wrong or we misunderstand about the idea of just loving other people well? I think loving also uh, calls us to listen. Um, you know, it's hard to say you love someone that you don't want to listen to or hear from, right? I think uh, loving our neighbor also uh, gives us an opportunity to affirm parts of that neighbor that may be uniquely, um, uh, a unique experience to that neighbor that is not our own unique experience. I think uh, loving our neighbor also invites us to be proximate um, in a way that isn't like the weird uh, proximate, right? It's it's the proximity that uh, gives us an opportunity to learn from uh, the neighbor. Uh, oftentimes we are in these conversations um, in the DEI space about inviting people to the table, right? And I think truly loving your neighbor says, let me leave my table and go to another's table, right? Uh, let me give up my seat and go grab a seat at someone else's table. And, and I, I love this idea of, of what happens around being proximate and sharing a meal and uh, really understanding and listening to the stories of people that uh, we may hold judgment or bias towards because we've never uh, fully known them. Mm. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I kind of want to uh, throw something that I've been thinking about or that, I, that I can sometimes struggle with is the idea of, um, you know, before before you love someone, you have to get to know that person as well. Yeah. And I think that's especially true whenever it comes to our neighbors. And at least for me, and I know this is true for other people too, we psych ourselves out for getting to know people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I would just love uh, to hear your thoughts on just kind of how, how you've seen that dynamic play out of we tend to psych ourselves out and maybe what are some of the other ways that we tend to like just overcomplicate, like getting to know people that we don't know? Yeah, I, I've seen this uh, fleshed out in so many ways. I lead an organization called Love Beyond Walls. We advocate 
on uh, behalf of people experiencing homelessness and build intentional relationships with people without an address as a way of uh, helping them to, uh, you know, walk towards self-sufficiency. And so uh, all throughout the years I've been leading this work, I've seen, you know, so many different people from all walks of life, from all different types of backgrounds, uh, politically, socially, spiritually, you name it. And one of the common threads that I've, I've seen is people struggle with um, being proximate to, holding conversations with, and even uh, struggling to affirm the dignity in people without an address. One of the reasons being is because um, we have been fashioned to think that people without an address are somehow criminal, somehow having less morals or less character or uh, lazy uh, or just solely addicted to drugs and only want to abuse uh, the system. Uh, But I think that type of framing does a real disservice to understanding uh, the 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 amago day or the 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 very inherent dignity that each person possesses, and it puts people in a bucket, so to speak. Um, when you say sweeping statements like "Oh, those people don't want to work," right? You're putting the person who lost a job during COVID and has now experienced homelessness in that bucket. Uh, When you say people are just uh, lazy, you're putting the mother who had to flee from domestic violence and her children in that bucket. And so I think it it just does a real disservice. And what I've tried to do in terms of helping to shape and reframe uh, some of the volunteers who have struggled is helping them to understand that there is no difference between them and you that we're all close and interconnected in some way. Uh, As Father Gregory Boyle puts it, there's no them and us, it's only us, right? Except for the grace of God, there go I. And what that does is center personhood, right? Um, Because if I didn't have a truck, you wouldn't call me truckless, right? Uh, And so we want to center personhood and give people an opportunity to understand that we all have stories, that we are all deserving of being heard, uh, that we're all deserving of having our dignity affirmed. And if you can pause for a moment and put yourself in someone else's shoes, that lowers the walls, right? And it gives us context to understand how we can engage with someone in the same ways that we would want to be engaged, right? Yeah. 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 What are, what are some of the, like, do you have any, like, either the stuff that you've seen and you apply or stuff that you've seen that just helps people connect more with other people. Like for instance, like one of the, like one of the questions that I love to ask people is like, Hey, tell me the thing that you're most excited about, like outside of work and everything. Uh, and that seems to work pretty well. Do you have anything like that? Because like, yeah, especially I, you get it. Yeah. I, I love just to start conversations. Um, you know, the, the ways in which we built relationships, has just come out of the the sheer just simplicity of conversing. Hmm. You know, how are you today? I've I've started so many friendships and relationships with people that we've actually helped to overcome homelessness by just simply asking them, how are you? 
you'll be amazed at what acknowledgement does in the affirming of the dignity of someone. Uh, I've heard people oftentimes share, like nobody's spoken to me in an entire week. You know, I haven't, I haven't had an opportunity to smile in the conversation in a long time. And I, I think it goes, you know, a little bit deeper than just uh, conversing, but really taking time and showing people interest, you know, asking them questions about their story, you know, um, asking them questions to understand who they are, to understand their values. What you get a chance to discover is that people have more in common with you than you think they don't, right? Um, <laughs> we sometimes have similar hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations. And I think the bond is derived from us getting a chance not only to see other people, but to make ourselves vulnerable to be seen. And I think that's the other piece that's sometimes missing in the conversations. We think that we're only called to love our neighbors, but don't want to up open ourselves up to be loved as a neighbor, right? Uh, there's a mutuality that needs to happen uh, in the conversing and in the exchange and in the uh, formation of the relationship. What do you think causes us to just resist that idea of just receiving the love from other people? Man, <laughs> that's a loaded question, but you know, it, my, my first gut response is fear, um, which is a real thing. And fear is, is also a positive. I know uh, in society and culture now, we talk about fear as being something that is weak and feeble, uh, but fear is, is a positive. It, it creeps up and lets us know that we're in danger. You know, it protects us in instances where uh, we need to protect a loved one or a family member. You know, fear can also spark uh, discernment, right? When we get these, you know, um, intu intuitive moments where we just know something is off. But also fear can be very damaging as well. Uh, it can create walls around us. It can push us into places of isolation. Uh, we can block ourselves off from really building the types of bridges uh, that are healthy, uh, that reflect the goodness and glory of God. Uh, fear can also be damaging to those that we display our fear to, to or towards, right? I remember one time having a conversation uh, with one of my friends. His name was Tyrus. He was standing on a street corner. He was holding the sign, and he was talking about what it meant to him when people feared him. He says, it hurts me when someone looks at me and then turns their head. It's damaging to me when people lock their doors and they fear me for no reason. You know, it, it strips me of my worth and my value when people say things to me and then uh, in, an, in an aggressive way and then go on about their day. Um, he says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a family member, I'm, I'm Tyrus, I, I am somebody. And what he was trying to communicate is how damaging the fear that people display towards him um, is to his self-esteem, his self-worth, and his space and place in society and culture. And what I try to uh, communicate to people is that you have to you have to realize what your fear of someone else may 
due to them, but also how it can keep you from truly connecting and coming together in community with people whom God is calling us to love. That's really good. Uh, one one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is uh, is moving from you know being a safe person that people can come to and you know they can they can share their story with and you know without judgment and everything to how do you build or how do you make the move from being a safe person to building a safe community in that to where <laughs> there's other people. And yeah. there that you can't control. Yeah, I think that happens slowly. It happens with intentionality. And it happens as you are uh, a person of invitation, right? Uh, I think sometimes we forsake um, the opportunity to invite and include. I remember uh, growing up, uh, I used to play basketball at the recreational park. Um near near my house and we would play this uh this game called 21 and then we would break out into teams and i'll never forget the moment when you know there are two elected captains and they're picking people give me him give me her give me him and they're picking people to be on their team and I, i'll never forget um standing on the sideline with this longing wondering if i would get chosen right Everybody wanted to be chosen because everybody wanted to be in the game, right? Everybody wanted to experience this 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 excitement of of just being able to play a sport that we all adored and loved. And I I, I use that as a metaphor and an analogy for what it means for people to be seen and chosen and invited into a space where they feel accepted, where they feel like they belong, and they feel like they've been included. What I'm suggesting is that we have uh, forsaking uh, the power of invitation. That, you know, when you truly want to start to build community, it's about being intentional, but it's also about inviting people to the table. I think uh, society and culture in our times has pressed upon all of us to build up these walls, to you know, exclude ourselves from other people or distance ourselves. We've been saying social distancing, which I don't really like that term. We've been physically distant from one another. Um, but we live with this mentality that, you know, it's it's just okay if I don't say anything or, or it's, it's okay if I don't ask. And what I'm uh, suggesting that people do to build those types of intentional communities is to invite people. To create those intentional spaces and give the invitation, you never know what can happen when you you start to gather people. Yeah, for for the person who's listening, and they're like Terrence, like that is a, that is a struggle for me. I'm not good at that. I don't know how to do. Like, what would you say? What would you say to that person? Yeah, uh, that maybe you don't necessarily have to be the leader. Uh, that you can identify someone who is strong in that area and become a support system for that. Or maybe um, you have a knack for organizing, right? And you are the person that likes to be behind the scenes and you just want to see it all happen, right? You can lend your skills and your um, your talent just to create the, the experience. You know, and, and that's what I'm really trying to get at 
uh, within the context of the book that everybody is needed. Uh, no matter what your gifts or your skill sets are, it's when we all come together and offer those gifts and skill sets up that we create the type of change that we're all longing to see. Mm. Man, could you just talk about the di- the dynamic that you were saying? Like you you don't have to be the leader in it to invite someone. Can you just talk more about that? Because I feel like there is the pressure to you know, hey, if I invite someone or or especially like if you work in a church or something like that, like hey, you are the leader. Can you just talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is that we're all leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that at any given moment, someone is looking up to you somewhere. You may not be the person out in front, you know, uh, standing behind a pulpit or the CEO of a company, or you may not be, you know, the head football coach, uh, but you have some level of influence in your life somewhere, right? And what I'm suggesting is that you recognize that and you understand how you're wired as an individual, and you infuse those things together with your skill sets and the things that you can contribute, right? And I'm reminded of of one of my um, uh, colleagues and friends who had a passion for trying to mobilize uh, their church around, you know, the discussion of some of those topics that are really sensitive, like racial tension in, in the country, and, you know, my, my friend by trade is like a medical doctor, right? Two totally different fields and was having a hard time to, to realize how they could like contribute and, and cross over. And I think sometimes we do that within even in, in the context of our own lives. We'll go to work. We'll have all of these great skills, all of these great ideas we add to a company or we add to an organization or to a church but we leave those skills at the door and somehow, <laughs> you know, find ourselves lost as to what to do when we are no longer in those environments. And what I'm suggesting is that we reimagine how we can use what we've already been gifted with to translate that into something more. Right. And I had this friend who uh, use their skill sets to uh, of organization to help put on this uh, this conference for the church, the first time they ever did it, and the impact and the fruit was tremendous. Were they the leader? No, but they were a critical part in the entire process of it all coming together. And what I'm suggesting is whatever spark you may have, maybe you need to connect with other people who may share in that spark uh, to create the fire that you want to see. Mm. Uh, one of the things, one of the, one of your uh, tweets, as I was scrolling through your Twitter, I wanted to um, just uh, read and then you know elaborate on because I think it I think it stands so well into this conversation. You know, you wrote, you know, everyone is welcome is drastically different from we built this with you in mind. People don't want to go where they are merely tolerated; they want to go where. Oh, my. Just a second. My app closed. My app closed on me, or my. Uh, okay. Let me reread that. Okay. Everyone is welcome. Is drastically different from we built this with you in mind. People don't want to go where they are merely tolerated. They want to go where they are included. 
Uh, and I have a couple of questions that I want to ask, but I would just love just your thoughts on that idea first. Yeah, I was giving this talk um, at Georgia Tech in the architectural program. Uh, it was for graduate students. And so I was brought in to talk about empathy and design as it relates to um, displacement and uh, being very exclusive or displaying exclusivity in, you know, actual architectural design. And so uh, one of the things I leaned into was hostile architecture, which is popping up all around the United States as well as in the world. And basically hostile architecture can be in the form of spikes uh, in areas where people experiencing homelessness might sleep, boulders in certain areas, uh, to uh, push people away where they won't, uh, you know, pitch a tent or, you know, stand or, or um, just be present in spaces. It can be in the form of putting metal railing or um, these, you know, really, you know, aggressive cages around certain areas. It, it's all in a place, uh, uh, you know, place with the intention of moving people who aren't deemed fit for this community out, right? And my whole notion behind that was that we need to be more about the the whole community, right? And not just parts of the community. Because just because a person doesn't have an address doesn't mean that they're not your neighbor, right? And so uh, that's what I was kind of suggesting in the framework of that, that you know, you can say that everybody is welcome, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you mean that. Uh, even in the, ch the church context, right? Oh, we welcome <laughs> everybody, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you mean that. But when you live when it, with intentionality, you design environments, you design communities, you de design cities with the whole community in mind where when a person enters into those spaces or those environments, they see a part of themselves in the environment, as opposed to, you know, only feeling like they're tolerated until they're absent. Mm -hmm. Can can you just say more about, like, what's the difference between, you know, everybody is welcome versus the, we built this with you in mind? Because especially if, if you're in it, it can be really hard to see. Yeah, I mean, you you look around. Uh, you know, is the environment monolithic? Uh, is the environment uh, reflective of your own existential experiences? Is the environment, um, you know, hard pressed or feel feels really constricted or tense when uh, other persons or you know uh, uh, cultures? you know, entering into those spaces? Or is the environment uh, different in its response towards people who have access to privilege and resources versus those who are impoverished? I mean, there are so many questions that could help us really see uh, if we're being um, inviting uh, with intentionality or not. An another thing that people can do is to also go to other environments where they feel as though they're the minority, right? Um, it's really uncomfortable, right? 
And so if you can put yourself in the shoes of what it may feel like if you were the one uh, looked at in a strange way or if you were the one uh, who felt like you didn't belong, then it would kind of give you some context as to what people uh, who may be, uh, you know, um, living on the streets or black and brown or um, experience seeing some types of uh, challenges, what they actually face and what we go through. And so, you know, I would start there. But then the other thing, too, is can the community or the environment really be honest? You know, about ways in which they have protected the environment to be a certain way. Because if you're not really ready to be honest, then you can't make the necessary changes to say, hey, we are designing this thing because we are stewards of it. We don't own it uh, with everyone in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that makes me think of, uh, uh, another another one of your quotes uh, that I wanted to ask you about. You know, you have uh, you have this quote, and it's from Twitter, and it talks about uh, disruption and being a disruptor whenever it comes to it. And you say we must open ourselves up to be disrupted so we can become disruptors of change. And how do you do that? <laughs> of change or for change? Yeah, I mean. Man, I think I think a person really has to realize that something is missing or off. Um, you know, sometimes that takes the, sh- the shape of like just being in a, a very humble place mm-hmm. where you admit things like, I don't I didn't know. You know, I was unaware. Nobody ever showed me this. Um, And I think those types of seeds, when we allow to flourish or grow in our hearts, turns into not judgment, but curiosity, where you start to, you know, ask questions, what else? You know, I don't know. Or what else have I missed? Or what else have I overlooked? Or have I been the person that has caused some type of pain that I've been unaware of, you know? And I think those moments of disruption where we allow those questions and even circumstances or events that may be happening in our lives or in much larger society can get us to a place where we are disrupted ourselves, almost like the the Saul Paul experience you know, where he, he's disrupted. He's he's at it one place, right? Yeah. And he's disrupted. Uh, his was probably by force, but we have an opportunity to open ourselves up. And, and then, um, you know, once we go through this process of learning and sitting with and building bridges and, and consuming information that wasn't our normal um, set of... Um, or knowledge base, uh, then we can process that and then find ourselves in a, in a space where we are impassioned, right? We, we have this, this passion where we want to be change makers. We want to be disruptors for change. We want to be on the front lines. We want to love our na- neighbors in a way that's radical and represents 
you know, the love of God in a different way. We want to be light and darkness and sight and, and salt in the in the world, right? And so that helps us to to really embody this and want to live it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one of the things that I want to ask you about is something that I've been thinking about recently, and it's the and it ties into the disruption, but it's the idea of like a proactive disruption is like what I'm calling it. It's like we all like we sometimes have that that Saul Paul moment to where it happens to us and our lives are disrupted. But proactive disruption is how do you how do you intent how do you not wait to be reactive for it? I, I well, I think that starts with uh, you know asking the question what what is the hunger like on the inside of the individuals, right? The scriptures are clear. Those who thirst and hunger after righteousness shall be filled, right? And I take that to suggest that we have to have this hungering, right? We have to be uh, desiring to grow, right? How are you growing each year? You know, what is your uh, leadership development plan? What is your plan of personal spiritual growth? What is your plan uh, of understanding and growing in, um, you know, cross-cultural experiences? How are you like intentionally exposing yourself uh, to content and information that will challenge you in a way where you're 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 just postured for growth, right? Uh, if we're really honest, diet is much more than just food, right? It's what we read, it's what we consume, it's who we're around, it's what we expose ourselves to, it's what we watch, it's all of these things. And so, what is your real diet like? Right. Not diet in terms of, you know, oh, that was my favorite meal, but your diet in terms of what your consumption is in te- with intentionalities. Yeah. Uh, and, and just kind of while we're on the thing, I would love to hear, like, what are some of the things that you're just thinking about right now, the ideas, the problems, the challenges, anything like that, that you're really trying, like that you're hungry for, that you're trying to learn more about? Yeah. And in, in all honesty, I'm trying to. Well, I'm in a a, a PhD program, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm studying public policy and social change. And right now, my entire research is around how uh, policies and rhetoric has formed social constructions that criminalize, demonize, and uh, put the poor down, right? And so in understanding like the historical context of poverty, understanding like, you know, who's spoken out about people who are poor in a very negative way, uh, trying to understand how all of these these various things are interconnected and how they feed off of one another. I'm just like hungering to understand, uh, not so that I can use this information to you know, um, talk down to people or challenge people, but to use this information to to arm me in a way where I could help to create more empathy in the world. I think we have an empathy deficit in our in our world today. And as one of my friends, Belinda, says in her book, uh, Brave Souls, that empathy is one of the virtues that's muscular enough to handle the complexities of our day. Right. Empathy is compassion set on fire that is willing and ready to love uh, the neighbor that's before. Mm. That's that's really good. Uh, I would just I would love to know, uh, like in your in your research for for the Ph.D. program and stuff like that. What's something that you've learned about like 
the, the policy stuff that you were mentioning um, that has just shocked you or just very surprised you? Yeah, I think one of the things that has really shocked me has been uh, understanding the hidden power dynamics uh, that policymakers and uh, public officials actually possess. Uh, one of the tactics that helps to keep, uh, you know, community concerns or community interests off of the public agenda is a, a power dynamic called uh, uh, non decisions, right? A non decision is basically where uh, I, if I'm a politician, can keep a community interest concern off of the agenda that we're talking about in a public way off the agenda uh, where those concerns or interests uh, from a community that may be oppressed or plagued or challenged uh, never gets their interests or concerns heard, right? And so what that actually does is creates apathy in the community where people who are trying to get uh, uh, policy cha policies changed or like having their issues heard or whatever it may be, it creates the status quo or apathy, right? It creates this type of apathy that, that makes them feel like change is not possible because nobody's hearing us. And what I would like to see um, is that more communities who are suffering with, whether it be lack of education or lack of access to healthcare or just lack, lack of access to the basic essentials like healthy food, right? Or uh, jobs within the context of community or access to affordable housing, all these things, I would like to see them heard, right? And one of our approaches to doing that, uh, me as a leader, is about humanizing and storytelling and, and communicating these things in a way that builds more empathy towards these communities where their, their issues and their stories and who they are are heard and instead of uh, being overlooked and passed by. And, you know, that creates all types of positive and wonderful dynamics because we get a chance to bring people together from all walks of life. And um, that, that is one of my heart's passions. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, one of the things that you talk about in the book, and I imagine can, can help with just the, the societal change that you're talking about is activism as well. And I just, I want to ask, cause I know that, uh, you know, for, for some people that could be a little bit of a touchy where I would just love to hear from your perspective like, what are some of the things that you're you're hearing about activism, or maybe some of the myths that you've encountered about activism that people just tend to get wrong whenever it comes to it? Yeah, the fact that activism is solely about um, social issues and not about uh, anything biblical. Uh, that activism is, um, you know, a, an attempt to replace. Uh, God, uh, that activism uh, within itself is an attempt to, uh, you know, try to address issues that should only be addressed in a very uh, biblical way. And, you know, to my to my point or my understanding of, of what activism is, I'll have to use uh, one of my friends uh, quotes where she says um, that activism uh, does exactly what the word 
says it's doing, it's causing you to be active in the community, <laughs> right? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's causing you to be concerned about the issues that your neighbor may be facing and being activated uh, to do something about it. It's understanding that your neighbor may be faced with some challenges and being activated to show love to that person uh, who may be faced with that challenge. Uh, it's, uh, you know, this real uh, commitment to showing up uh, relentlessly until the person that is before you experiences the same type of change and enjoyment and access to uh, certain pr privileges that you love and care about yourself, right? It's activism. It's saying, I'm not going to sit on the sideline. I'm going to get in the game and be active. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, man, that's really good. Uh, one one final thing that I wanted to ask you about, and I, I tend to usually ask this question uh, at the beginning, but uh, it just didn't play out this way, and that's perfectly fine. But I love, I usually love to ask people, you know, hey, tell me the story about... Um, about what made you write this book. And I, as I was preparing for our conversation, I saw something that you said, and you said, you know, people always ask me during interviews, what made you start doing what you do? But I think the real question is, what caused you so much pain that it made you passionate about caring for those who are vulnerable once you overcame? And I would just love to hear your answer to that question just as we're wrapping up. Yeah, I love that uh, question. Yeah, man, when I talk about what God has done in my life, I feel it deep. I could be someone who um, is experiencing homelessness or in jail or uh, probably not even here. Uh, God radically changed my life. And, um, you know, a lot of the personal pain that I had gone through uh, I had a mentor early on show me that God had purpose in all of the suffering and the pain and the experiences that I had. And once I realized that, it became something that not oppressed me, but liberated me to say, I can be a witness of good news in the earth. And anybody who has ever experienced any type of pain knows what pain feels like. My pain doesn't have to be your pain. Your pain doesn't have to be my pain. We all know that pain is uni of universal language and it feels horrible, right? Um, for me, it just happened that I became closely connected to wanting to reach back out to the persons that could closely relate to the experiences that got allowed me to overcome. And the pain that I had during those moments when I had to sleep in parks or, you know, try to find somewhere to stay, whether it was a friend's house or something else, when I experienced homelessness as a teenager, are the same passions that fuel me when I get up every single day to say, how can I ensure that people or invisible don't feel the same pain that I felt when I felt invisible, right? It's, um, it's being moved with compassion just 
the same way that Jesus was moved with compassion. You know, in Matthew 9, where it says he looked at people and they were weary and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like, and he was moved with compassion. Like, that's what I want to do and embody in my life. I want to be moved when with compassion when I see someone who doesn't have a meal. I want to be moved with compassion when I see someone who is going to sleep on a curve. I want to be moved when, with compassion when someone is talking about someone else that they don't even know, but in a biased way. I want to be moved with compassion to ensure that all of God's children have their dignity affirmed. I want to be moved with compassion. Why? Because God was moved with compassion towards me. And how dare I want to receive something that I, I don't want to offer someone else, right? Yeah. Man, I think that's a good place to wrap. Terrence, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you, you know, get the get the book, you know, and follow along with you. The book is When We Stand. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things and to keep up with you? Yeah, so um, definitely if you want to check out When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together, please you know, go to any bookstore where books are sold and you can pick up that. If you want to follow our organization, it's at Love Beyond Walls. Uh, that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can visit us at lovebeyondwalls.org. Or if you want to look me up, uh, it's simply I'm Terrence Lester. I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. Thank you. I was going to say, and as I said, you're a great follow on Twitter. <laughs> oh man, thank you, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast and thanks so much for for just doing the work and just sharing it with so many people. Yeah, thank you for having me and it's a, it's a pleasure and honor to serve. I think coming out of that conversation with Terrence, there's many different things that I could talk about that um that have impacted me for, but the one that has probably hit me the hardest whenever uh just as I was preparing to talk with him is just this idea that Everyone is welcome is drastically different from we built this with you in mind. And it's very challenging because I I just think it, it just makes me think of a couple of mentalities. One is the mentality of what what we think whenever it comes to welcoming other people who are different than us, and how our ideas of welcoming look so vastly different than than the people who are different than us and what maybe they view as welcoming as well. And so, and it, it involves asking the people that we are trying to create a welcoming environment for. And that can be, um, that can be very uncomfortable, especially if you don't have people who are different than you in your life through it. And so that's probably the biggest thing that I've been thinking about and, and try, and it's something that, um, that I try to get right here on the podcast. Don't always get it right, but really trying to create that space to where, yeah. And so that's the thing that is making me think just about this conversation with Terrence of of just that dynamic and how that plays out and how it is not a, uh, it's, it's not something that's static. It's something that continues to be need to be worked on and adjusted and updated and redone and revamped and reevaluated and continuing dialogue and all of those things as well. And so if that stood out to you, I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. And probably uh, the best way, uh, I mean, honestly, probably the best way to reach out to me 
right now is at Caleb J. It's it's actually not on Instagram. It's at my email, which is at Caleb Mason ninety one uh, at gmail dot com. Uh, at Caleb Mason ninety one at gmail dot com. I would love to hear from you on that, and uh, yeah. And if there's anything that you would love to learn from on the podcast, anything else recently in any of the uh, in the past episodes that you've learned from, I would love to hear from you as well. Any suggestions that you have for people or topics that you would love to learn from, always up to to listening and dialoguing about that stuff as well. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the follow button or the subscribe button on whatever podcast player you listen to. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. And if you're on Apple, go ahead and leave a rating and write a review. That helps as well. So I think that's all that I have for today. Going to give a couple of quick shout outs and thank yous. One to Terrence for being on the podcast today, to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for this podcast, for Sam Massey, who has created the music for this podcast, and finally to you, the listener, for uh, journeying with me through the end of this episode and on the Learner's Corner as well. So I think that's all that I have for today. So my name is Caleb Mason. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.